Hey guys, it's Joe Wolverton, Teacher of Liberty, back with you today. And I want to kind of let y'all get to know me a little more. I, I know I jumped right into the first one and the second one, and I realized that there are a lot of you who are subscribing, and I'm very grateful for that, that don't know me very well, have, haven't known me for very long. And I want to tell y'all about my bona fides, yeah, my Latin, good faith, the the proof that I'm not just some yahoo getting up here spouting things that I know nothing about, okay? Uh, particularly when it comes to the Constitution and history and things like the founding of, of America and things like that, okay? Because seriously, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I would hate to think that you start listening and you start repeating things and then you're like hey wait a minute this guy how does this guy know what he's even talking about so i want to make sure from the jump you have my bona fides my good faith the the evidence that what i'm telling you is not just a bunch of freestyling off the top of my head although i can freestyle if you want to get someone in here to challenge me to a rap battle i will freestyle your face off okay but for right now, we're just going to talk about regular stuff. But the stuff that shows you that I do have some credibility. I have written three books, and you can find them different places behind me. I have written, the first one was a biography of James Madison called The Real James Madison. The second one was called What Degree of Madness, colon. It's important, colon. That's not like the size of your colon. That's not what I meant. That's not a colon. Like, I'm at, it's probably small though, right? But anyway, colon. What degree of madness? Colon. Madison's method to make America states again. See what I did there? You see, it's clever. It's all that book learning made me clever. But anyway, that's my second book. It's about uh, Federalist 46 and how James Madison gave us uh, some weapons, as he calls them, to fight back against federal tyranny in case we ever get in a position where we need them. Hashtag now. All right. My third book is called The Founder's Recipe. And guys, this is my life's work, right? If I die tomorrow, if I leave here tomorrow, if I die tomorrow, how can I? No, I don't sing. I'm just, it's just, it's, see, people are like, you do that to make people feel relaxed. No, I do that because that's the madness up here. It's the little voices in my head what say, you should sing now. And I'm like, how can I? Don't do Mariah Carey, man. It's like if you're doing, shut up, let's just keep going. If I die tomorrow, and see right now, if I live, if I die tomorrow, the founder's recipe is the thing I'll be pr proudest of. Yeah, as far as work is concerned. Because it is the culmination of decades now of things I've been interested in, things I've worked so hard on, and things that matter most to me. And I thought... Well, I'll tell you a little bit about those books, but I've also written, and this is, someone told me this, and I, I went and I looked for myself, because I didn't believe it, but this guy that was paying me to come give a speech to his group said, I've looked at, 
you know, online and looked up your bibliography and stuff. He's like, you've written over two million words in articles since 2009 on constitutional issues. So I looked it up because I'm like, I don't think I have written. I don't think I've had time because I'm, I'm 27. For those of you who didn't know, I'm 27 years old. Um, well, I identify as 27. So if you don't recognize me as being 27, then you're ageist and should be canceled, frankly. So how did I have time? Well, I did graduate college when I was four. How much is what he's saying is true? I don't know, but don't worry about it. The point is, I've written two million words since 2009 in articles on constitutional issues. And guys, I do not say that to brag, because that show enough ain't me. I am not braggy McGillicuddy. That ain't who I am. I'm telling you that so that you know that I have some legit cred when it comes to talking about history, liberty, the Constitution, government, that I'm not just up here giving you my opinion and expecting you to believe it. And like I told you in episode one, this is not going to be political, right? This is not political. You go to Home Depot, they sell you the wood and the screws and the tools and whatnot. They don't tell you what kind of house to build. I'm doing that. I'm the Home Depot of History of Liberty. They should sponsor this. This episode of Teacher of Liberty sponsored by Home Depot. We won't tell you what kind of house to build. It's supposed to be like, cling, but I don't know how to do that, so don't expect it to really do it in the video. All right, so that's me. That's the things I've written. That's I want you to know that I have that kind of credibility. Now, Founder's Recipe, if we think about that Founder's Recipe, what it is, I'll tell you really quickly, for those of you who don't know, it's a collection of writings from the 37 men most often quoted by the Founding Fathers from 1764 to 1805, okay? Hundreds of thousands of letters, personal letters, of speeches, of books, of pamphlets, of essays that they wrote and then looked at libraries from that time and what they had and looked at newspapers and what they printed. And these are the 37 men most often quoted, and most of them are people you wouldn't recognize. That's why I created the book with just a few selections from those guys. Okay. Now, how did I get there? Well, I put this whole story in the introduction to Founder's Recipe. So for those of you who have that book, it's nap time. It's nap time. For those of you who don't know the story, guess what time? It's not nap time. No, it's everybody's favorite time. Story time with Uncle Joey. I wish to see you right now. And like, if I had a lot of production, it'd be like, some story time with Uncle Joey. I don't know. So here's what happened. I was the first person on either side of my family to go to college. You know, I don't know if there's that many that graduated from high school. To be really honest with you, my family was very poor on both sides, at least for a few generations back from me. They were poor. I was the first person to go to college. I go to a really good college because 
I'm smart like that. I am sitting there, and I remember just little things, you know, like flashes of memory. I mean, not that it was long, that long ago, because I am 24. I, I know, I was 27, but I'm, I'm 24 now. Um, just being with you has taken these... I've realized I had repressed memory. Is it Would it be repressed? Some sort of memory, but now I'm 24 instead of 27. But anywho, it wasn't that long ago. But I remember sitting in class, and it was like one of these freshman political science 100 or whatever, 110, whatever it was called. And the professor gets up there, and he's like, okay, um, everybody turn in the thing in, in your that I had you do for this week. And I was like, and so I leaned over to this guy, no word of a lie. And I said, Hey, um, how did we already get homework? And he's like, are you serious? And I said, yes. And he's like, well, didn't you check the assignment board? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, the assignment board, I don't know what that is. And he's like, literally, he said this. He looks at me, he's like, wow, and just reaches past me and hands his paper to the kid next to me. And I'm just like, okay. So this goes on. Teacher hands out the syllabus. You know the syllabus. And he hands out the syllabus, and he's like, we're going to go through the syllabus. Apparently, that's what they do in college. Like, the first week is called, like, syllabus week or something like you go over the stuff you're going to talk about so I was like at least you know I won't feel stupid now yes I missed one assignment can't be worth that much you know what I mean so we're going over the syllabus and as we go through things that we're going to study in political science 110 it's like I think it was called colon basic American government all of that sounds like stuff I should know about Right. I mean, basic American. I am an American and government. I know what that is, or at least I thought I did. But anywho, so they start going to the syllabus and there are so, guys. I am not exaggerating. There were so many things I didn't understand. I would look at these words and be like, we're going to go over Federalist number 10. And I'm like. Will we be going over one through nine? And everybody laughed. Did you think I'm joking? I am not joking. I see in the syllabus, like right near the top, you know, like, hey, we got, we're going to have like a couple weeks under our belt and we're hitting Federalist 10. So I'm thinking, oh, we we're supposed to read one through nine on the assignment board. But I'm like, so I'm going to show that, you know, so I'm like, Sir, are we going to go through Federalist 1 through 9? Everybody laughs. And the professor's like, I guess you can if you want to. We don't have time for that in class. Hmm, yes. Yes, I'll do that with my book club. I didn't know Federalist was a book. I didn't know what Federalist meant. So I was just like, okay. This goes on. I'm going I'm to I'm shrink the story because otherwise y'all are going, look at the time. All right, so I'm going to shrink the story. I go to the professor. There's a professor that I really love there. He's actually the reason I wear 
sweater vests. His name is Richard Vetterly. May he rest in peace. He died way too soon. But he was my professor that I just loved the way he taught. I love his attitude about teaching. I love what he taught, all that kind of stuff. And so he wore sweater vests. And so this is like my ongoing um, homage. See, I speak French. My ongoing homage. For those of you who don't speak French, it's homage to those of us who do. No judgment. Because I am a 74-year-old Moroccan. Homage. But if you don't, it's homagi. Unagi. I forgot how he did that. Like, unagi, whatever, from friends. But anywho, I did. <sighs> Tell a story, Joey. Just write, you know, A, B, do the thing, man. So, I go to Dr. Vetterly's office. Richard Vetterly. He, like I say, has passed away now. I go to Dr. Vetterly's office, and I'm like, Dr. Vetterly, just want to let you know, you're an awesome teacher. I think you're great. I love your class, and I'm dropping out of school. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I, and I tell him the story. I'm not, I don't have family that's gone to college. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm like, I don't know what federalist is. He's like, look, if you want to drop out, drop out. That's your deal. He's like, but I would advise you not to. And if you're willing to put in a lot of hard work, you can catch up to your classmates. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can put in some hard work. And he's like, all right, so here's what I want you to do. So he gives me a copy of the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. You know the paperback ones? He gives me a copy of those. And he says, I want you to get, take the index and I want you to take like note cards or whatever and write down every word that you don't recognize from the index of the Federalist Papers and then do that same thing to the Anti-Federalist Papers. Now at this time, I still don't know what these are, but I know he's handing me these two paperback books. They each have an index and they have words in the index as one would expect because why would it have, you know, what else would it have like? Like, I don't know, what other colors? I don't know. Anyway, so he goes, go and write down. So I took, and I don't know why now, I don't know why, but I had those big note cards, you know, not the like regular size ones, but the ones, you know, that you buy that are, you know, that you can like, if you're cold at night, you can pull up, you know, the big ones. And I don't know why I did that, probably because it's the only ones I had. But I went and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I can do this. I opened the index and it was just like one thing after another. Amphictyonic Council, of course. <laughs> I'm writing it down. You know, it's like Plutarch, who at the time I called Plutarch. Plutarch. Polybius. Guys, you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. And I'm telling you this story so that if you feel you're a mile away from understanding things and, and you're... We're going to go through this together, and I'm going to take you on this journey, and a lot easier than me doing it, because I had no, I didn't have a me, I didn't have a podcast that I could go to and learn about these things, I had to do it all myself, so I take the stack of cards to Dr. Vetterly's office, and frankly, he was a little shocked. He was a little like, um, that's a lot, and I'm like, hey, I knew John Adams, oh, yeah, yeah, he's like, well, that's 
okay. He's like, all right, now I want you to take all these cards and I want you to go to the library and write just a short description, definition, identification of these things that you didn't know. Because there was no internet. Well, there was, but because I'm only 22. I just graduated like last week. There was the internet, but I couldn't access it because of um, being in the CIA and they don't let us have, it doesn't matter. I had to go to the library to look these things up old school. And what happened was I wrote down all these things. I wrote down the definitions, identifications, and some, I started to notice that as I would read things that the founders, founding fathers wrote, other than the Federalist and Anti-Federalist, as it would lead me to other things, to other essays, to the papers of James Madison, the papers of Thomas Jefferson. As I was reading these things, I noticed that they, they all, they talked about a lot of the same things, like the same names kept reappearing, right? The same names kept reappearing. And I was, and, and sometimes they would, they would talk about them in code, like, you know, as the Baron says, or as the celebrated says, or as whatever. And so they would kind of talk in code, right? And so finally, I got that all done. I turned him into him and he's like, wow. He's like, that is a lot of work, a lot of good work. And he's like, do you mind if I look at them? And I'm like, no. And I hand him to him. He's going through them. And he calls this other professor in, Lou Midgley. He calls Dr. Midgley and he's like, look what this kid did. And he's like, I don't even know some of these people. And he's like, Where did, what, is, what is this? What did you do? What's the assignment? And Dr. Vettel is like, oh, I told him to do this, this, this. He's like, I don't know who some of these people are. And I was amazed that here we have our founding fathers talking about these, these people all the time, some of these people. And, our, and my professors were like, I've, I've never heard of this guy or I've seen his name maybe, but I have no idea what he was to the founding fathers. And some of them are guys that are like often quoted by them. People like Samuel Pufendorf. Yeah, that's his name. Don't, don't make fun of him. That's, don't bully. No, no bullying. There's no bullying here. Sam. U.L. Samuel, Samuel, your name is Pufendorf, and that's as good a name as any other name. I mean, it's not really, but no, it is. It really is. So Samuel Pufendorf, uh, Cesare Beccaria, they were like, these names, where did you get them? And I told him, anyway, what ended up happening, guys, to make a long story somehow even longer, I, I just wanted to read everything the Founding Fathers read. I thought, if I read everything they read, then maybe I'll understand better what they wrote. Now, years later, I was reading Cicero's murder trials, the speeches he gave when he was a lawyer during murder trials. It's actually a book, Cicero's Murder Trials. And in there, Cicero says, you know, if you want to understand what the founding, what he calls the founding fathers of Rome, if you want to understand what they wrote, you must first understand what they read. And I was like, oh, yes. And so that was my thing. Cicero, that was years later that I read that. But my thing was, if I read 
everything they read, maybe I'll understand what they wrote. That was it. So that's what I did. And now there was a name that stood out to me. And you guys will come to know this as we become closer friends and have barbecues and, and frolics as we frolic. As you come to know me, you'll, Algernon Sydney, that name just stood out to me. Like literally just jumped like, you must read me. Like, you know that scene from Dead Poets where they're looking at the like, you know, the trophy case and Robin Williams is standing behind, rest in peace also, Robin Williams is standing behind him going, you know, like talking like as if he were a ghost. I felt Algernon Sidney saying, read my book, which I did, Discourses Concerning Government, and it changed my life and pretty much put me on the course that I've been on ever since. So what's the point of that whole story? The point of that whole story is education. I came to be who I am today, understanding the things I understand, being an, an authority on the Constitution and liberty and history and the influence of Greece and Rome on the United States and the history of Greece and Rome. I got there because of this curiosity and I, anybody can get there. You know, if you want to know these things, you can come to know them. And I'm not go to college guy. I'm not, rec I'm usually guy, don't go to college. Don't do that to yourself. Go, you know, but that's your decision. Go to college if you want to. I'm, I'm not saying that because it happened to me in college, this is Uncle Joey's way of recommending you go to college. No, Uncle Joey will never recommend that you go to college. You know, you do what you in consultation with your parents, you guys, you guys decide that. My experiences happen to be at college, right? But the thing I want to focus on is education. Now, Another thing you'll come to know about me is I love etymology, not entomology. I really loathe entomology, which is like the study of bugs. I love etymology, which is the roots of words, right? Like where does the word come from? So education, where does the word education come, come from? It comes from two Latin words, educare, meaning to lead from, to lead out, to lead up from, out from. And in the case of education, it means to lead out of the darkness of ignorance into the light of knowledge. Educare, to lead out, right? To lead out. Education is supposed to do that, guys. It's supposed to lead you out from the darkness into the light. It's supposed to lead you up the mountain. Down in the valley, everybody's here. Education is supposed to lead you up the mountain. And everything looks different up there. Things that look big and kind of frightening and things that look too, too scary, too big, too confusing to understand. You climb up the mountain, everything looks smaller and you're like, okay, now I can see more of the picture. Education should do that, guys. Education should reveal the big picture to you. That's what it is. Anciently, it was thought of climbing up the mountain, right? The temples of Egypt are shaped like that because they're, they're man-made mountains. 
Everybody can stay down in the valley. And if you want to stay there, that's fine. But things look really different as you climb the mountain. And that's what education, leading you up, leading you away from the valley and up the mountain, leading you up from out of the ignorance, the darkness of ignorance into the light of knowledge. That's what education is, literally in Latin, a ducare. Now, there are those who don't want you climbing that mountain. There are people who want to keep all of us in the darkness of ignorance. They have their reasons, and it can't be good. Keeping you ignorant is not a good thing. Trying to convince you not to get educated is not a good thing. But now remember, I didn't say anything about going to college or even or anything. I said get educated. You can do that the way I did. If I had the internet when I was in college, if I had the resources that you guys have, I could have done all that without going to college. You can too. A Ducari. You can climb that mountain. But there are people who don't want you to be educated. And Cicero, speaking of Cicero again, he had this to say about those people. And since we feel an urge to seek this blessing to improve the lot of all mankind, by the spur of nature herself, let us carry out this great endeavor that is always so dear to the best men. And let us not listen for a moment to the seductions of those who sound retreat so loudly that they sometimes call back the people who have already made considerable improvement, unquote. That's the great Cicero, a.k.a. Cicero, for those people who want to get made fun of. Cicero, the seduction. Do not listen for a moment to the seductions of those saying, come back down the mountain. You've gone far enough. Stay down here with us. Right? Seduction. You notice he used the word seduction in connection with this with this gaining wisdom, which he says, right, is always so dear to the best men. Do you know why? Because in Latin, do you know what the opposite of the word educate is? The, in Latin, the antonym of educate is seduce. Because seduce, where educate means lead from, lead up, lead out, Seduce means lead away, to lead down. The opposite of educate is seduce. I want y'all to think about that. Why would someone want to lead you away from climbing that mountain that will help you see things more clearly, see that big picture? I don't know. But what should education be? So that's what, you, hold on, I need a beverage. And I want you to know that when I have a beverage, y'all can have a beverage. And uh, today's beverage is uh, room temperature water with honey. And today's mug is from Mount Vernon. George Washington, like Donkey Kong chasing George III. This is today's mug of the day. And 
now's a good time for you to enjoy a delicious beverage in whatever mug. Mm. Always goes down smooth. All right. So what should education be? What, what should it be? We know that it's climbing the mountain. It's leading you out of the darkness into the light, right? It's giving you this perspective that other people don't have. And there are people in power who don't want you to have that perspective. Why? Because then you see things as they really are, as they have been and as they're going to be. That's what education is. Real, effective education should be ennobling, enlightening. But how should it run? What should it look like? This is the question, right? I, I want to, you know, we have, well, let me just, let me read you this from Adam Smith. What should school look like? What should education look like? I have taken this Adam Smith quotation as a, a personal uh, spur, a personal motivation for what all my classes should be like, for what this podcast should be, for what every, anything I do, any speech I give, any article I write. I want this quotation from Adam Smith from Wealth of Nations to guide me, right? So when I think about what should education be, what should school be, here's what Adam Smith said, and this is sort of like, would I guide myself? See if you agree. The discipline of colleges and universities is in general contrived not for the benefit of the students, but for the interest and ease of the teachers. Now, he's talking about college. To him, that meant high school, okay? So he says, the way high schools and universities are run is generally made for the ease and interest of the teachers, not for the benefit of the students. Its object, of the object of school, is in all cases to maintain the authority of the teacher and whether he neglects or performs his duty to oblige the student in all cases to behave to him as if he had performed, as if that teacher had performed with great diligence and ability. Whether he has or not, School is, school is ran in such a way that all students, you must show that respect to teachers. It seems to presume perfect wisdom and virtue in teachers and the greatest weakness and folly in the students. Where the teachers, however, really perform their duties, there are no examples, I believe, that the greater part of the students ever neglect theirs. You would never have to force attendance to lectures which are really worth attending, unquote. You don't have to force attendance at lectures that are worth attending. And if you went to a school where it wasn't, where it was presumed everything was made for the ease and interest of the teacher... And the students just had to do what they were told and do it the way they were told. And if you get in someone's classroom and they're like, oh, you're not allowed to use red pen. And you're like, I, that's what I have with me. Then I guess you don't take notes and you get a minus two. Or some even worse, like, I'm going to have to put your name on the board. Steve Glockenstein. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what your last name is, Steve. 
and I'm sorry you only had a red pen. But you see what I'm saying? That's what school does. This is Adam Smith writing in 1776, guys. That the school is seems to be ran in such a way that it's supposed to make things easy for teacher and hard for students. And the students have to pretend like the teachers are awesome and worthy of respect, even if they're not doing a good job. And it presumes this wisdom in the teachers and this folly and what's the other word he uses? Uh, folly and weakness in the students. Adam Smith gets it. I get it. You get it. You do not have to force. I mean, this is what the, the motto for school, if you know like that, how it should have ended or whatever on YouTube. So it's like the, the motto of school, school, an idea so good, you have to be forced to go to it. You know what I'm saying? School, so good, they make you do it. Education should not be that. You should not be forced. And do you know how I know that? No, Uncle Joey, tell us how you know. Do you know what the etymology of the word school is, guys? The etymology of the word school is the Greek word schole, meaning leisure, rest, and ease. Leisure, rest, and ease. You're supposed to be relaxed, talking about important things. Learning, because learning feels good, man. When it's done right, School should be those things. It should be leisurely, rest, ease. My school and your school too, I know. Unless you're homeschooled, maybe even then it is this way. You go to school for eight or nine hours. You come home and you have four or five hours of homework. And then you don't want to go to sleep because you haven't had any time to yourself all day. So what happens? You get, you come home from school, you do your homework, it's late, you stay up because you want to have some time when you're not doing schoolwork. And then what? You go to bed super late and you have to be dragged out of bed in the morning for school. You know, for that place of leisure, rest, and ease. This cycle continues, right? It does not sound like a good idea. But since this is, but I mean, guys, think about that. You got eight or nine hours, four or five hours. You want to have some me time. You want to have time to do something. Even if it's, you know, just be sovereign of a couple of hours. Be in charge of a couple of your own hours. And then you stay up late. You wake up. It's hard to wake up, etc., etc. And you're up and you drag to school and you get to first hour and your teacher's like, wake up, open your eyes, don't put your head on your desk. Where's the leading up? Where's the climbing? Where's the light of knowledge? And If you can't even open your eyes because of the way this place is run. Come on. Come on. Let me tell you a story, since it's story time with Uncle Joey, let me tell you a quick story about education, school at the time of the Founding Fathers. So there was a guy named Philip Fithian. Philip Fithian 
went to Princeton, decided he wanted to be a teacher, gets hired by the Carter family down in Virginia. He goes down there. Mr. Carter, super wealthy, has 18 kids. Yep, you heard me right. Mrs. Carter had 18 kids. So it's a built-in school, right? So Mr. Carter, being wealthy, builds a little school building on his property and everything. And he, one day, he is, so what Mr. Carter would do is every night they would have dinner together and Mr. Carter would sit there at the head of the table and he'd go around and ask the kids, hey, what'd y'all do today? What'd you get up to today? And so one of the kids was, two of the brothers, they were like, oh, we were so excited by Tacitus that the story he was telling that um, after lunch, we went back and read, went back to the schoolhouse and read Tacitus some more. His dad's like, no. And he asked Fithian, did they do that? And he's like, well, yes, sir. They Yes, they came back after lunch and sat in the schoolhouse and, and read Tassus. And their dad says, no, uh-uh. Here's the deal. School is after breakfast until noon. And then you have lunch at noon. And then after you eat your lunch, you go do something else for two hours. I don't care if you're running in the woods, fishing, hunting, playing games, whittling. I don't care what you're doing, but you're not in that schoolhouse. Then at three o'clock, you're back in the schoolhouse and you're locked in. Five o'clock, 5.30, you're done. And that's it. Understanding the need to, to refresh yourself, to let go a little bit, right? Can't be pressing constantly. When you're, when you're there, be in the moment, but have moments where you're not pressing well, also another story from Mr. Fithian's experience with the Carter family. So one day he's going around, blah, blah, blah. And one of the girls is like, well, I uh, have to do some work tonight, Dad. And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, well, we had to translate this chapter of Sallust from Latin to English. And I didn't finish mine. And so I have to do it at home tonight. And he's like, you're not doing that. And he turns to Mr. Fithian. Now, this is another night, mind you. And he turns to Mr. Fithian and he's like, what is she talking about? He, and he says, well, I assigned them a chapter of Sallust to translate from Latin into English, and she didn't finish. And he looks at Fithian, and he says, Mr. Fithian, I give you six hours a day to teach my children all they need to know about history and logic, math, if you can't get that done during those six hours, I will have to find a teacher who can. And Fithian in his journal write, you know, like gulp. He literally says, I thought that was my last day. Do you realize that? Homework now is like, how much can we give them? Homework at the time of the Founding Fathers, if you went back in time and you said to an 11-year-old James Madison, what homework do you have tonight? He'd be like, well, I have to chop some wood. Uh, mom said to scrub the floors. No, 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 like for school. They don't make me clean the school. No, not clean it, like from your assignments. My assignments from school. I don't know what you mean. Seriously. Okay. That is skole. That is, you get together, it's leisure, it's rest, it's ease, it's talking about big, important things that ennoble you, that make you feel alive, that make you feel, that stretch your mind, that enlighten you, that give you a different view of things than other people. Not that you sit 
in the proper way when the bell rings and you stand at the proper time when the bell rings or not when the bell rings, when I dismiss you. Right? You walk the proper distance from the wall in the proper direction. Right? You sit when I say sit. You stand. If you write with blue pen, no, sir, it's black pen only. But my last teacher said, I'm sorry, that's in her classroom. In this classroom, we write with whatever. That's not rest, ease, and leisure, guys. But it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be the ennobling. It's what makes humans human. We can think these things. We can climb that mountain. And now, finally, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read some quotations from a guy named Richard Price, a Welsh preacher that the founding fathers absolutely adored. Richard Price. No, you don't know his name, and that's on purpose, and you're about to hear why he has been scrubbed from our culture and from our curriculum. You will hear in just a minute. Richard Price was so beloved by our founding fathers, they offered him honorary citizenship. They offered him a farm and land and all of this for him and his family. He respectfully declined and said, I need to work on the liberty of my own country, but thank you. In 1784, so just a year after the War for Independence is over, he wrote a pamphlet, a speech, whatever you want to call it, um, and it was called Observations on the Importance of the American Revolution and the Means of Making it a Benefit to the World. He really believed that what was going on in America, if he could export that, that the whole world would be better off. What we learned about the Americans during the revolution and how that could be a benefit to the world. Now, I'm going to read to you these quotations about education that he wrote in 1784 about American education, what it was, and then what he said it could be and what it was in other countries and what it could become in America if we allow ourselves to forget our inheritance, to squander our inheritance of liberty if we allowed a tyrant to take over what education could become. So he's going to start by saying what it was in America, what it could become in America if we let a tyrant take over because he says this is the way it is in other countries. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. The purpose of education is to direct the powers of the mind in unfolding themselves and to assist them in gaining their just direction and force. And in order to do this, the business of education should be to teach how to think rather than what to think. Yeah, marinating that for a minute. The business of education should be to teach you how to think, not what to think. But, says Dr. Price. In other places, education has been conducted on a contrary plan. It has been a reduction, not an enlargement of the intellectual abilities of the students. It has been an injection of false principles and then the hardening of them in those errors instead of a discipline enlightening and improving them. Instead of opening and strengthening their minds and teaching them to think freely 
School has cramped and enslaved their minds and forced them into thinking only in one way. Instead of instilling humility, charity, and a love of liberty, thereby preparing them to more easily discover and defend the truth, school has inflated students with selfishness and stuffed their minds with damaging and wretched prejudices. Unquote. Think about if your school's like that. If education, which way is it in America? Is your school enlightening you and enlarging you, teaching you how to think or telling you what to think? Is it cramping your mind or is it strengthening and opening it? Next quote by Dr. Price. Enlighten them, so students, enlighten them and you will elevate them. Show them that they are men and they will act like men. Give them correct ideas of government and let them know that good government is necessary for protecting their rights. And if you do this, it will be impossible for them to submit to governments which, like most of those in the world now, are usurpations on the rights of men and nothing more than conspiracies for enabling the few to oppress the many. Unquote. Enlighten them and you elevate them. But there are so many people seducing leading you away, leading you away from that education. For what purpose? Who knows? But remember what Cicero said, the best of men love being ennobled and enlightened, educated, led up, led out of that darkness into the light, led up that mountain where everything looks different, where we can be. Are most schools today even worthy of that name, guys? Rest, leisure, ease. Are schools worthy of the name education? Or are they more like a seduction? One last quote from Richard Price that is my favorite from him. But remember these things. Education or seduction. Leisure, rest, ease. Climbing up or pulling down. Cramping or enlarging. Teaching you how to think or teaching you what to think. My last quotation from Richard Price, and we'll close this down. Knowledge without virtue makes devils. Unquote. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later.